Now's a good time to remember where the story of tequila started. In 1795, the first tequila distillery was opened by the Cuervo family. And 229 years later, Cuervo is still going strong. Family owned from the start. Same family, same land. Now's a good time to enjoy Cuervo, the tequila that invented tequila. Go to Cuervo.com to shop tequila or visit a store near you. Cuervo, now's a good time. Trademarks owned by Beckless AB to CV 2024, Proximo, Jersey City, New Jersey. Please drink responsibly. I'm Royal Oaks. Next time on Too Many Lawyers, we take on a couple of villains to sort out whether bad stuff is also illegal stuff. George Santos won a seat in Congress by lying to voters, but is that a crime? And Kanye West made it clear he hates Jews. In England, he'd go to jail for that. Here in America, did he commit a hate crime? Listen to Too Many Lawyers on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The John Anik and Kenny Florian Podcast. John Anik and Kenny Florian. I fucking love them. I can't get enough of them. Let's hear that boss next. Big job there from Duffy and Frank Mir is hurt now. Down goes Duffy. Oh, cold. Frank Mir does it again. Rock'em, sock'em, robots here. Oh, my goodness. I believe there are a couple of absolutely self-involved bullshit artists. Here are your hosts, John Anik and Kenny Florian. Oh, it is great to be with you with whatever voice I have left. Sunday, July 31st, 2022. It's episode 359 of the Anakin Florian podcast. My man, Ken Flo, you're looking pretty, pretty good today. I believe your hat says Strawberry Hill. My first house was on Strawberry Hill Road in Natick, Massachusetts. Nice. How about Hell that? Hell yeah. I so uh, I'm still in Dallas. Uh, I'm staying here to do some voiceover work today. Uh, but my first order of business in terms of the voiceovers the Anakin Florian podcast it's great to be here and this feels like an awfully quick turn so I'm excited to talk to you about what was uh what was a wild night uh as they all are at UFC 277 Pena versus Nunes too so as I understand it you maybe woke up today and watched some of this fight card is that right I did I did I was I, I woke up super early last night uh yesterday about 5 a.m uh I'm in the middle of a course this weekend so uh, I, I was a little busy and I, I, I fell asleep during actually right after the Anthony Smith, uh, Ankalaya fight. I just, I couldn't, couldn't take it anymore. So, but I, I watched it this morning. So it's fresh in my mind. Uh, it was a great card. It was loud as hell. It was uh, in, in Dallas, man. Unbelievable. So are you watching that free of results or did you know the results this morning as you watched? I did fights? not know the results this morning. I purposely, I saw, I saw some texts from our, our guy, Cody. I'm like, I'm not checking ah. until after I watch it. So yeah, yeah, yeah. There, it feels like such a huge win when you can uh, not see anything result wise and then actually yes. wake up and watch the show. And certainly to a lot of our international viewers, especially in the UK, um, you have our eternal respect, right? I mean, a couple of guys <laughs> nor, near and 50 who live on the East coast of the United States. And yeah, we yes. have to uh, wake up and watch these fights oftentimes, but we respect all of you watching these fights live through the night. Speaking of which, are you doing a seminar in the UK or am I, am I right? I, I am. I'll, I'll be stopping by some gyms uh, uh, while I'm in the UK. So uh, I'm excited about that. Be doing some, some seminars for sure. Very cool. All right. Yeah. A lot to get to UFC 277 as Amanda Nunes exacts her revenge and I guess I would like to begin, as I did on the post show last night, with all the pressure that was on Amanda Nunes, because there's a lot to unpack as far as this fight is concerned. But when you think about her driving the 30 hours across the country after losing to Juliana Pena last December in Vegas, texting Dean Thomas, I'm done, thinking long and hard about retirement at 34 years old, even though 
you see how much fun she has competing. There's no way she's going to retire anytime soon, at least as far as I'm concerned. But for me, there are a lot of things to marvel at. Um, but I think her mental fortitude, which was questioned, certainly juxtaposed against Juliana Pena's going into this fight, um, is there in droves. And, you know, any doubt as to whether or not she was still the greatest of all time, I think was answered pretty emphatically last night. When I think about uh, modes of operation when it comes to revenge or rematches, right, um, there's there, there's the solution of, make you know, making it basically uh, – you know, doing something that will end it very, very quickly or that will delay a process that uh, equals more suffering and more pain for your opponent. And it seems like the latter was the approach of Amanda Nunes, where she really, uh, you know, went out there and made Pena suffer throughout those 25 minutes. Um, yeah, But more than anything else, she was just more patient. She stayed within herself. She clearly was in better shape. She looked more fit from the get-go all week, which were all positive signs. Um, and she was able to utilize her power uh, throughout those 25 minutes, whether it was landing big shots or utilizing critical takedowns and control in that fight. Uh, that was the difference. And, you know, I, I think it made that much more of a point uh, in my mind that Nunes is head and shoulders above Pena, right? It, it showed that, yes, that was a mistake, or I did have a lot of issues heading into that fight. I am that good. I am going to show you that not only am I going to beat you, but I'm going to dominate you. And when coaches like Roger Crawl suggest to me, you know, that she really couldn't run nor spar leading into that first fight. You know, you tend to take these people at their word. And you sort of mentioned the physical transformation or at least how physically fit she looked this week compared to that fight. I mean, certainly it was very telling um, in terms of her sort of playing with her food and prolonging things. You know, it's interesting, right? She beat Felicia Spencer wall to wall, post to post. I thought you could have argued for five, 10, eight, even though people think I'm crazy trotting out a 50 to 40. Right. Um, but there was a 50 to 43. I counted five knockdowns in the first two rounds, and I felt somewhat validated, I guess, when Dana White took to the podium at the post-fight press conference and said that he had the same number. Um, Amanda was not credited with any knockdowns in round one. She was credited with three there in round two. Crazy recoverability, durability, toughness from Juliana Pena. I mean, we all have buckets of respect for her, um, but Nunes was on point and, uh, and came out southpaw. That was certainly the big switch up. Roger Kroll takes a lot of pride in that decision. Rick Little, actually, I know I'm sort of spiraling here. Rick Little came up to Roger Kroll after the fights and was like, you kind of fucked us with that Southpaw thing, bro. <laughs> yeah, listen, I, I thought it was a brilliant approach. Um, you know, there's not a whole lot of women in the world that could take those kind of power shots, right? I mean, we've seen uh, experienced women, very good and dangerous fighters like Ronda Rousey, Holly Holm, Misha Tate, right, who have been in there with a lot of great fighters that just simply weren't able to take the power shots that Amanda Nunes could yeah. dish out. And Pena is one of the few that was able to recover from it. Um, and, you know, I, I think that if Nunes had wanted to follow up on the ground and finish the job, I think she could have done that. I think she wanted to be a little bit more patient uh, and perhaps, you know, juice, um, you know, those shots a little bit more and get Pena a little bit more tired. Um, but yeah, I, I thought she was looking like she was on point. There were some moments where I think she was watching her work where she wasn't creating angles and getting caught by Pena. But again, this was a dominant performance. Um, I had at least one round of 10-8. I, I think that 
yeah. was probably the right call there. Yeah. Uh, in round two with those three knockdowns, round one was very dominant. Round five was pretty dominant. But um, I, I think uh, the right call was 10-9 all across the board, except for round two, having a 10-8. So yeah. uh, Nunes was, was just tremendous last night. I think our guy Sean Sheehan had it 50-45 to 45 for Amanda Nunes, and his scorecard and your scorecard are certainly the two go-to scorecards for me. You know, I actually thought rounds three and four had some pretty dominant moments as well, um, but I digress on that. I guess it's neither here nor there. I certainly like aggressive trotting out of 10-8s, as everybody who listens to this show knows. Um, but Amanda Nunes said this was the best night of her life, and it's crazy thinking about all that she has accomplished. I think it sort of speaks to just how much pressure there was on her to win this fight, to not go 0-2 against Juliana Pena and have people start to question her legacy to whatever degree. As far as these submission attempts are concerned, or lack thereof, I guess I should say, you know, Dana also said at the post-fight press conference, there's a huge difference between a knockdown and a submission attempt. And as far as you're concerned, and as far as the UFC stats are concerned, there was only one true submission attempt by Juliana Pena. So in your mind, what actually constitutes a true submission attempt you know for me there's got to be some kind of significant pressure on the joint right whether the shoulder the elbow or or the neck for uh, a choke submission um and there was only really one that i saw that was really tight the other criteria for me is when when the fighter is forced to change the orientation of their body significantly, where they have to really change their position uh, to escape that submission hold. You know, those omoplatas, I really don't count. There was no pressure on the elbow or shoulder in my mind. All Nunes really need to do was limp arm out of that. You know, um, those arm bars, you know, for the most part, uh, weren't really tight. There was one, though, where Nunes had her back flat against the mat and Pena was cranking that arm bar. Um, you know, when she was on her back, she isolated Nunes away from her and it forced Nunes to have to throw a leg over, you know, switch her hips towards the floor. That was a close one and a legitimate submission attempt in my mind. Um, so, you know, and Pena was very slick throughout from her guard. She was patient. She was tough. She was durable. Yeah. Um, and, and she had some nice, um, you know, attacks from her back. But as far as a legit sum legitimate submission, it was that one up against the cage where she had flattened Nunes out and had that right. straight arm bar. This may be an unfair question, but we talk about it a lot, certainly in UFC circles. How much does physical conditioning help with recoverability and durability? I think a tremendous amount. Um, you know, when you're talking about um, shots to the brain, shots to the body, I think if the body has been weakened either through a weight cut or if you haven't strengthened your body significantly through um, a, a good camp of proper strength and conditioning, I think you'll see people get knocked out a little bit easier. Um, and clearly, Pena was in tremendous shape, uh, as was um, you know Nunes, of course, yeah. you know, to be able to go those hard 25 minutes. So Team Nunez and the establishment of Team Nunez, it's absolutely crazy, right? Like Nina Ansaroff, Nina Nunez, Amanda's wife, owns the building that they now have their gym in. They had to rent a trailer to drive a cage in, right, because nobody wow. would ship them a cage. It all came together very quickly, but I would hearken back to this cross-country drive for Amanda Nunez where she really had a lot of time to think, and she realigns with Roger Crawl, who runs American Top Team Sunrise Branch, right? He had been one of her original striking coaches, was in her corner for the Ronda Rousey fight and other big fights. Patrick Nagel was her initial wrestling coach at MMA Masters in Miami. She called this dude. He hadn't been in MMA in eight years, right? Wow. 
And and she's like, hey, man, you want to, you know, come out of the woodworks and get back into this and be my wrestling coach? He's like, fuck yeah, you know? I, I meet the guy last night. He's like, you're not going to believe this. He's got a fucking UFC belt over his shoulder. He's like, this is the first time I've ever attended a live event. Corners Amanda wow. Nunes in that fight. And then uh, Bobby Casale Jr., who is a training partner and an MMA fighter in his own right. But, um, you know, it's interesting when you talk to these fighters all week and they talk about how tight-knit this team is. And Amanda, who's very thoughtful, said she needed to break away to make herself sort of the center and continue her growth. She felt like she had kind of plateaued at American top team. And had she beaten Pena last December, she felt like she wouldn't have had the grounds on which to leave. She also said if Conan Silvera, and she told Daniel Cormier this, if he had said, Hey, you got to stay or, you know, she would have stayed, but Conan gave her the blessing to do this. And obviously the results, you know, speak to themselves. Um, We're going to probably talk about this more. So, in the nature of spinning it forward, Ketlin Vieta is lurking, right? She has back-to-back wins over two former divisional champions in Holly Holm and Misha Tate. Certainly, you got to think at some point, Nunez and Pena, given this rivalry, could meet for a third time. But given the dominant nature of this second meeting, I don't know that there's any thirst for that, immediate or otherwise. I think the calendar plays a role as well. Amanda's going to go to Brazil. I'm not sure we see her again in 2022. Um, but any immediate thoughts on Nunez? Presumably at 135 pounds in her next defense. Yeah, I, I think the Ketlin Vieira fight makes more sense. I, I think not only does Vieira deserve it, but uh, as you mentioned, I, I think just the nature of that rematch and the fact that she was so dominant doesn't warrant an immediate rematch in yeah. my mind. And, and I think it's also one of those fights you can kind of put in the back burner uh, and, and do it at a later date if necessary, assuming yeah. you know maybe Pena comes back and gets another nice win or whatever. Um, so, yeah, I, I think Vieira is the next call. I don't know how much money Amanda Nunes has. I would reckon to say it's a lot, Um, but she just loves to fight, bro. You know, like why are you dicking around and extending the fight? I mean, she loves to fight, and I really think she's going to stick around for some time. She's going to take a break that she has obviously earned. And candidly, she has so much promotional goodwill that Dana might sign a featherweight for her to fight and defend her title. Honestly, you know, like that, he said after the fight, like I'll do whatever she wants. So that would, that would be very interesting. And I think I know where you're going there. Um, yeah. Listen, I also think that as far as, you know, for Nunes, that was such a great sign for me when I'm looking at a, at a champion, especially a champion that has been that dominant for that long. You're looking for that passion, right? You're looking for that thirst for wanting yeah. to go out there and fight. She was smiling throughout a lot of those exchanges yeah. uh, in a good way, not like, oh, you didn't hurt me way. Uh, and even when she was about to come out, she was smiling like, let's do this. This is yeah. exactly oh, yeah. what I wanted. Um, so she was out there to make a point and make yeah. no mistake about that. Um, and she did exactly what she needed to do as a champion. In my mind, she is back. And I also think, that loss against Pena is going to serve her well moving forward as a great reminder of, you yeah. know, never underestimate your opponents, go in there healthy, go in there with a hundred percent effort uh, and good things will happen. Do you ever remember smiling in a mixed martial arts contest? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Maybe some of the early ones. I don't recall too much smiling. Not the it. early ones, probably because I was so damn nervous uh, not, and, right. and not, not very experienced, but certainly, uh, you know, probably the middle to end of my career. Uh, there were those moments where it was just, it was awesome to be in there because I was prepared and because I felt right. ready. Right. Uh, and, and I just loved the challenge at that point. Yeah. One quote from Nunez after the fact tonight proved that 
December was a lucky day for her. If she needed to become a champion like that, she had her time, but now it's over. And, you know, I don't even know that Amanda's trying to take away from Juliana Pena as much as she's trying to be a woman of veracity and she knows exactly what she was dealing with. You know, Cody's chiming in here saying that, you know, Nina wasn't blowing smoke up her ass going into that first meeting, telling her her sparring looked really bad. And, uh, you know, Dean Thomas felt like this was just going to be just a bloodbath. And that's exactly what it was. And that's the guy who made scouting videos for Amanda for years and years and years. So congratulations to the lioness, Amanda Nunes quickly on the Kayla Harrison front, right? Mm. I'm a huge fan of that woman. Obviously I, I feel like as a fight fan, I kind of need to see Nunez Harrison, not unlike I needed to see Khabib Nurmagomedov versus Tony Ferguson. Um, do you have any insight as to whether or not Kayla Harrison, uh, can make 145 pounds? I know she signed with the PFL. I know she is, uh, in the middle of a competition cycle, I guess, but, um, can she make 145? Do you believe she can make featherweight? I think she can. Um, I, I definitely think she can. It's going to take some time. Um, you know, she is very muscular, uh, no question about that. Um, but there's also no question in my mind that she has the discipline and she has the experience, the competition experience, uh, to be able to have that discipline and execute, uh, exactly what she needs to do to get down to 145 pounds. So, um, that would be fascinating. Of course, those women have a history. They've been training partners. Um, they know each other quite well. They have a, a tremendous amount of respect for each other. But for me, for me, those are the two best women on the planet, Kayla Harrison and Amanda Nunes. I, I yeah. mean, uh, let, let's let's see it. That, that would be unbelievable, man. Kayla's next fight is August 20th, same night as UFC 278. So I hope that you guys buy UFC 278 and don't watch Ken Flo, the newly minted <laughs> nominee for World MMA Awards Analyst of the Year. Um, but August 20th, we'd like you, we'd like you to watch, watch the Ultimate Fighting Championship. But no, Kayla Harrison, 14-0. Next fight is August 20th, and uh, we'll see. But Kayla's been on this show at least once. She's been on Remember the Show with Bilal and Jason, and uh, she's just all class. I would love to see her get that opportunity. I love listening to her on the mic. So, uh, all right, congratulations to the Lioness, Amanda Nunes. Today's Anakin Florian podcast brought to you in part by UFC Fight Pass. See, the best UFC Fight Pass has to offer on the Fight Pass 24-7 stream, offering a constant channel of historic fight action all day, all night. Tune in, sit back, and enjoy a network created by fans for fans. Step into our world, UFCFightPass.com. All right, women's bantamweight title, one of two belts on the line Saturday night. The interim flyweight championship goes to the assassin baby, Brandon Moreno, one of two body kick knockouts at UFC 277. Your thoughts on what was a tremendous co-headliner can flow for as long as it lasted. Oh, man, uh, I knew this was going to be an amazing fight, uh, and it was just that. Um, I, I thought that heading into the fight, Looking at both fighters on fight week, to me, uh, it was apparent that Moreno seemed more comfortable. He seemed more relaxed. And it was Kai Kara France, to me, that seemed a little tense, uh, very intense, trying to get in Moreno's face, trying to posture a little bit, which to me didn't come across as authentic. Kai Kara France, yes, he's a very tough individual. But to me, he's a technician. He's a guy that can pick you apart. Um, and he didn't need to play that role. And so when I saw him come into this fight, I saw it, I saw that tension carry over in the fight. Um, and he never seemed like he was comfortable. Whereas Moreno, you could see in his body language, he was loose. He was fluid. He was seeing everything coming. And Kai Car France was like, you know, trying to, you know, force things out there. And to yeah. me, that's never a great way to fight. And having done that myself, it rarely works out well for you. 
So experience to me was the difference. I thought Moreno had a great start to this fight. The first two rounds were tremendous for him. Um, and then we saw Kai Car France start to battle back. Uh, he was landing some good shots. He was countering extremely well uh, because I think he started to loosen up. But that body kick, my goodness, he dug those toes into that body, uh, landed, ended up taking uh, Kai Kara France's, uh, you know, breath away, literally. Uh, and, and you saw him just fold like fresh laundry. And Moreno, with that killer instinct, uh, followed up. I thought it was a great game plan uh, by Moreno and his team. Uh, he looked extremely prepared, and he looked like he has been integrating a lot of new things into his camp. Uh, it especially that lead leg. To me, he wasn't so heavy on it, so he wasn't so yeah. susceptible to that lead leg. He was seeing it coming. He was um, he had his weight on his back leg, so he was able to uh, remove that lead leg and catch actually Kai Car France off balance a few times as he swung through on that lead leg kick. So uh, I thought he he just looked really, really sharp, and it made me that much more excited for the Figueredo fight. Yeah, it's hard to follow that analysis. I think you absolutely nailed it. I thought it was interesting to hear that Brandon Moreno picked James Krause as his chief corner, largely because he has been working as a UFC analyst for the last several years, and he has been able to observe all of these coaches, especially in fight. And he just, I think he likes the cadence and the tone and the way James Krause sort of handles things. You know, he's not necessarily a screamer. And I think that Moreno responds to that type of leadership. Um, but for those two to get together and to be able to make those type of, of changes when it comes to his guard and his stance and the weight on the leg in a short amount of time, I do think it speaks to Moreno's experience, but also just how good an athlete he really is, right? To be able to to make what I believe are like kind of big changes, right? Like you saw times during the fight, maybe he did go back to the old school brand of Moreno a little bit and then was able to get himself back. Um, but I'm really impressed, you know, as the amateur mind on this stuff that I really consider myself to be, that they were able um, to, to make these type of strides in a very short amount of time working together. I couldn't agree with you more. I, I think there's something to be said, John, for having a fighter that is humble, having a fighter that has had to work extremely hard to get where he to get where he's at. Right. He Brandon Moreno is not the guy that came into the UFC, had these amazing fights, was perfect straight off the bat. He's had to work very hard to be as good as he is. Not, not to say, you know, every fighter has to do a certain amount of work. Right. But you see, we've seen so many fighters come into the UFC, get on these crazy win streaks, um, experience little to no volatility. And then we see them fall off a cliff with Moreno. It's kind of been this like slow rise, little bit of dips coming back up, little bit of dips coming back up. And now we see this consistency in his game. And because of that humble beginning, I think he's able to look at himself and go, am I doing the right things? What do I need to do to actually get better? And he doesn't have all these yes men around him. And not to go yeah. off on a tangent, but, you know, I'm seeing some of the things that Conor McGregor is doing where when he came to the UFC, not only was he a great fighter, but he was an innovator. He was doing things that other people yes. just simply were not doing. And now I'm seeing a Conor McGregor, just again, this is just seeing some of his training stuff, where he's regressing as a fighter. 
Um, and, and that is uh, troublesome to me. You know, I'm not seeing that same fluidity, that same kind of variety in what he's throwing at you. Yeah. I'm seeing actually a, a fighter that might be even more stiff. So, right. again, for Moreno, uh, the fact that he's able to not only identify, have the humility to identify his weaknesses, be honest with himself, and then work hard to integrate those things into his yeah. game is a testament to what kind of martial artist, fighter, and man uh, that he is. And again, this is Kai Kara France. He is a problem, man. No doubt. He is tremendous. And I think he will be back and he will be better and he's going to learn from this. But I think he was a little bit too tense and not quite ready experience-wise for the kind of Moreno that, that fought last night. Yeah, no, you put it beautifully. I mean, we talked a lot about that, right? You're talking about almost an hour and a half of championship fight time between Brandon Moreno and Davison Figueredo dating to that first meeting with Kai Kata France. I would also say on the interim gym front, you know, Brandon Moreno was very respectful about all of this and to his former head coach, Raul Arvizu. But he said, you know, it's still the best gym in Mexico. No doubt about it. You saw what Michael Morales was able to do. Um, but this sort of rooted uh, during the last Figueredo training camp, I think there were rumblings that maybe the coach wasn't always on time and they weren't necessarily seeing eye to eye. So this was an eventuality. And I asked Brandon Moreno, would he have left? had he gotten the decision against Davison Figueredo and he paused, but I think uh, manager Jason house kind of chimed in and said the writing was on the wall. Hmm. I'm not going to spin it forward just yet on Davison Figueredo because I want to get to Alexandre Pantoja in all of this who needed just 91 seconds to spoil Alex Perez's return to the proving ground. Pantoja is a fucking savage bro. Like literally he was going in there to fight. Like he only had three minutes to get it done because if he's going to get a title fight right on a night on which they're putting a second belt in the division on the line, he needed something like this, right? To have a guy like me not even talk about the undisputed champ and talk about Pantoja. So obviously he's a good back taker, a ton of rear naked chokes. This one was a neck crank for Alessandre Pantoja. Um, what'd you make of his performance on what was uh, a huge night for the Brazilian? Spicy. Spicy is, is yeah. the first word that comes to mind. Pantoja was in a hurry to get the hell out of there, man. That's what it looked like. Uh, and again, this is his strength, and it's also his weakness. Um, that is a risk. That is a risky thing to do, especially against a, a you know a good fighter like Perez. Um, but he ended up moving forward, landing some good shots. I don't think Perez was ready for that tempo, for that kind of rhythm, for that kind of aggressiveness. It threw him off. Uh, you see Pantoja kind of went for it. not the best of takedown, but it was good enough that it, it forced Perez to uh, turn his back. And from there, Pantoja is not going to forgive uh, a fighter for those kind of mistakes. He jumped on the back off of that scramble. Uh, and then it was pretty much all over. Uh, Pantoja has so much energy, especially early on. Uh, you could see he was trying to make a big statement and let everyone know in that division that, hey, I'm around two. I deserve a shot. Uh, he looked fantastic. It was a great win um, at just a great timing in his career as well. All right. So Alessandre Pantoja, as some of our viewers and listeners may know, has two head-to-head -head wins over Brandon Moreno, one of them in the UFC and one of them by finish on the Ultimate Fighter. Mm -hmm. Brandon Moreno has never been finished as a pro because that Pantoja submission loss is an exhibition bout that is not on his professional record. Right. So the foundation for a fight between Pantoja and Moreno is already there. But of course now, in all likelihood, we will get Brandon Moreno and Davison Figueredo for a fourth time. I was told during fight week that psychologically, Figueredo had kind of moved on from this Moreno chapter and really 
didn't have the appetite nor motivation necessarily to fight the guy for consecutive times. So I do believe, if I can say it, that Figueredo was hoping that Kai Cotafrance would win this fight. Um, but instead, it looks like it's going to be these guys and uh, maybe with a Brazilian backdrop for a for a fourth meeting. That's the fight, man. I, I, again, yeah, I think both I of those the, both of those guys have injected so much life into that division because they're so damn good, and the the manner in which they fight is so exciting. Um, uh, they have so many skills in so many different areas. They're both really aggressive. They're both capable of finishing fights at a high level. Uh, that's the fight to make. Um, and, and both guys, you know, uh, want this. I thought both guys showed their respect for each other uh, last night. Um, you know, I think they've both been promoting that fight and both been trying to get in each other's heads. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, I think both understand very well that they could both lose that fight, which makes it all the more exciting. Yeah. So uh, again, we, I could watch those guys fight again and again. That whole oh, division yeah. is stacked. Kai Car France will be back as well. He'll be injected back into the mold as well. Uh, as is, you know, you guys got, like Pantoja and other fighters uh, that are just awesome and super technical in that division. Yeah. And I know Davis and Figueredo can be a little bit polarizing. I have nothing but good things to say about the man. You know, I mean, at times maybe he stepped out of character a little bit to try to build fights. But uh, yeah. as far as I'm concerned, he's a he's a really good, thoughtful dude. Um, all right. What'd you make of the feature bout at heavyweight? Sergey Pavlovich over the Black Beast, Derek Lewis. I mean, more talk about the stoppage than the Pavlovich performance, and I think in some part that is unfortunate. Uh, I guess my thesis statement on Dan Mergliata, who I believe to be a pretty good referee, is is you just got to give it a beat. I know the visual of Derek Lewis being down face first is not a good one, and perhaps he did save him from some concussive damage and and from being made you know unconscious, unconscious. But uh, I don't know, man. I guess. I just feel like sometimes these referees like get a little bit panicky in the moment and felt like Derek Lewis especially deserved a beat. And even though Dan doesn't know how Derek is going to react after the fact, I think his response suggests that a lot of those shots did miss. I know Mergliata's not privy to the replays, but um, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say it, it was a bad stoppage, but it was certainly premature in my mind. Yeah, I'm not sure. That really wasn't um, the sense that I had when I was watching it. Uh, as far as me being upset about the stoppage, was it a bit early potentially? Yeah. Um, was I mad at it? Not necessarily. Why? Because listen, Derek Lewis, uh, first of all, th these are both heavyweights. Th these aren't flyweights, right? Going at it. Um, the potential for damage on follow-up shots from a heavyweight is significant and they are significant. Yeah. Um, and again, th this is a Derek Lewis that fell forward uh, to me, which wasn't a good sign. Right. The problem is we've seen him do this in the past and kind of get back up and rally. Um, but I, I, I don't know. I, I didn't have a major problem with it. Um, but for, for Derek Lewis, he, he was eating shots that I thought um, weren't very helpful. His body language wasn't helpful to the situation. Uh, he kind of crumbled to all fours, which didn't look good. Yeah. Uh, Pavlovich was, was, was throwing uh, some hard combinations. Yes, some of them were missing, but he was staying aggressive, which gave the indication that he was only going to follow up with more damage and more power and more speed. Uh, so this was not a great performance for Derek Lewis, who unfortunately lost in his home state again. And yeah. um, Derek is as tough as they come. Um, you know, he's always dangerous, but this was not a good result for him. He looked way slower, way more hesitant anyway, in my mind, as I watched these guys fight. Yeah. And to me, 
this is kind of, um, again, yet another example of Derek Lewis just being inconsistent throughout his career. He's extremely unpredictable. Um, yeah. You know, if you're trying to bet Derek Lewis, man, uh, it, you, it's it's tough because there's certain moments where you're like, Derek Lewis can knock out anyone in the world. And there's performances like this where you're like, did Derek Lewis even show up? Right. Yeah. He's lost three of his last four. And uh, I think you hit on a lot of inconvenient truths from him for him as far as uh, that fight and his career, especially of late, is concerned. All right, now joining us after a week off uh, is the great Ray Longo, <sighs> burning it at all ends, repping the chicken uh, pound today. My yeah, chicken pound, baby. My twin brother is here to my oh. immediate left, and he says you were on extra rounds deep into the night. Is that's, that true? Oh, my that, God. That's absolutely a fabrication of the truth okay all right, I feel <laughs> all right. No, no, well, no, I'm, I'm joking I, I i confess i was on <laughs> all right well uh we found out what they're paying you and uh let us just say on behalf of anakin Florian llc our checks in the mail now okay Actually, you Kenny, it. are you Bring feeling it. it you smell what i'm smelling <laughs> you smell it. oh man i smell money Holy crap. He, <laughs> cheat, he cheats on us and we send him a check. I mean, yeah. he's got a good gig going on. Wait, My goodness. He told me not. Wait, oh, I'll read the text message. I want to do this. I was up for the weigh-ins. Right. Took, Cody, yeah. I have a little bit of a bone to pick with Cody off yeah. the air because Longo and I connected and Ray suggested yeah. that he did offer himself up. Yeah. Cody on the show at like 8 a.m. Pacific last week. Cody. I just know as this guy. No, no, no. I didn't. No, I, I talked to him before that. I said, John sent me a message saying, take off because you're going to be away and it'll be too early. And I said, well, let's see what happens. I mean, I'm, I might. No one to... replied to me. Yeah, yeah. You I guys had yeah. your own little private. I know. We did have. Yeah, yeah. You know? I'm, I'm, all right. No, but I got fucking stonewalled. So, yeah. you know. Um, I guess that's neither here nor there, but you didn't yeah. sleep very many hours, right? You got off the air probably five or six hours ago, correct? Is that right? What are you laughing at? I think it's funny. Yeah, uh, yeah, no, no. I got. Off. I don't know what time I got off. Is it fair <laughs> to say you don't like the mornings, though? Oh, fair to say. That's a hundred percent. Yeah. All right. So, you know, I love when I get the Ray Longo text during fight night. And um, I think you hit on a, the right verb for Dan Mergliata in this fight. If we could just bring yeah. you into this conversation. Um, I do think he panicked a little bit. But in yeah. real time, largely, I do lean a little bit towards Ken Flo's side in terms of the, the face-first visual not being a great one in that moment for Derek. Yeah, I, I just think you have to know your fighters. And Derek Lewis is a guy that can change that fight with one punch. We've seen it before. And if... You know, like I think some, I think somebody saw on the broadcast said, you know, he doesn't have, you know, the instant replay to look at. A lot of the punches missed. The guy's standing two feet. He's right there. What, what, I what, said you it. Gotta go me instant, under the bus wait, you, do we have to go to instant replay now to see if a guy's getting hit? Is that what you guys were saying? Well, got, it's hard even as a commentator <laughs> to see the extent I mean, to which those strikes are landing in real time. I've right. said a million times on this show, you guys both have a keener eye than I do. But come on, man. I mean, fist yeah. being thrown like that in real time, it's hard to see. These without a doubt. Listen, wait, 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 wait. Without a doubt. Uh, and I, I'm, I'll even lean towards Kenny. Look, it wasn't a good visual. The optics were horrible. But uh, he did bounce. He, he unequivocally wasn't hurt. He bounced right back up. I mean, right. yeah, no doubt about it. You, you needed... You needed another second or two to make the decision. And wasn't Dan Mergley out of the referee in Czech Congo versus Pat Barry? Yeah. So it, he was. Yeah. I mean, yeah. talk about extremes. I yeah. Mean, I mean, yikes. That could, and that could have easily been another one of those fights. 
Yeah. That guy bounces up and throws a haymaker and the fight's turned around to complete, you know. Yeah. If Derek yeah. Lewis hits him once, that guy's probably not getting back up. But, yeah. you know, so it was, uh, you know, I think you got to know your fighters, man. You know what I mean? But it, the optics were no good. And, uh, yep. yeah, either way. I mean, it wasn't like, uh, it just, maybe it's hindsight is twenty twenty. I don't know. But uh, it, so, it, it, uh, it didn't look that good. So when you do extra rounds, does that mean you have to watch all 13 fights? I only saw, honestly, I only saw probably eight fights last night. Right. The main card plus uh, a couple right. of them. So yeah. uh, what are your thoughts on, <laughs> on Amanda Nunes? What are your thoughts on Amanda Nunes? The camp change, the response in the rematch, everything about her performance last night. I'm going to say hats off to Amanda Nunes. I, I picked Pena to win the fight. I thought Pena was going to win. But, Kenny, I tell you what, that switch to Southpaw, she couldn't get – they had no answer for the check hook. There was not one bit of advice to help her out. It was like it's an easy fix. First of all, you throw the right hand, that's when you're getting hit with the check hook. Absolutely. But there was no head movement. There was no – let attack the body with kicks. Uh, how about this? How about – you know, I mean, if I'm if I'm paying, I just switch southpaw myself. I'll take away the check hook just by going southpaw. I mean, like we don't know what Amanda Nunes could have did uh, defensively to anything because they had a game plan for when she steps in with that right hand. She was getting hammered with the check hook, and that was to me that was the whole fight. She had no yeah. answer for the check hook, and you know she got hit so hard that by the time she started, even you know. The, I mean, like, the you know, you're into the fight. She's already been hit a lot, and demoralized a little. Well, I don't even know about demoralized because I, I think, again, Pena, unbelievable heart and determination because she had no answer and she was still going forward and trying, which hats off to her. Uh, but to me, the whole fight is no answer for the check hook, and that's it. I mean, you know, she just did nothing, nothing to counter that. Absolutely. I, Ray, I think that's an astute point. I, I mean, listen, their response was a very rudimentary and basic approach. Oh. It was like, oh, just clinch. They're in South. Yeah. She, when she's in Southpaw, yeah. just go and clinch. Oh, and by the way, watch out for the lead hand. It's like, okay, well, how do I need to watch out for the lead hand? Nah, how was... do I need to go about the clinch? You know, you, you need to give your fighter a little bit more. And, and not only that, not only on fight night, but it seemed like they were not prepared for that at all during the camp. But, of course, that was kind of a, a late switch. But uh, to me, I mean, that, that was a surprising tactic uh, that they just didn't have Good. an answer for. Yeah. And I think Ray is absolutely on point. That was a critical uh, moment for me in the fight where it was, like, basically lost at that point. Yeah, no well, they question. definitely were not prepared for it this time around. You heard Rick Little invoke the Valentina Shevchenko fight in the corner of Juliana saying, remember when we were prepping for Shevchenko, which, by the way, was 2015. I mean, that's not going to help you much in 2022, you know. Um, yeah. And I have lauded that corner, right, and that coaching team, Mike Valley and Luis Claudio and Rick Little and Gregory and everybody else. But, yeah, I mean – Rick Little will be the first to tell you they were not prepared for that pivot by uh, by Nunez. And, and credit to Roger Crawl because I think he was the impetus for it. I'll tell you 100%. You know, that was something different that they didn't make the adjustment for. So hats off to uh, uh, Amanda Nunez. And she, you know, look, in boxing, it was always the definition of a like a great fighter is somebody who comes back to beat the person that took away their title and come back. I mean, like Sugar Ray Robinson did that and maybe a couple other guys, but 
she she's she's the best female fighter period at this point no matter what happens in the future you know with with her oh yeah Danny, I, I my, yeah i didn't no. think she was going to have the, the like the uh still the hunger to do what she did she she was that was that was impressive Kenny, my recall is not great, but, you know, if a fighter switches stances with any sort of regularity, I have that note on my fighter card. And it's hard for me to think about a lot of instances in which Amanda Nunes has has gone southpaw in her career. You know, I don't know. Yeah, I, I think she has done it, but it really hasn't been a common thing. It's been extremely rare and certainly not staying in that stance no, as long as she right. did last night. And I think, uh, Ray, I'm curious to get, get your take yeah. on this. You know, John and I were talking about it earlier. To me, this is more of a dominant way of beating someone than going out there and like, like, I think if Nunes went out there and starched Pena in round one, that would have almost been less impressive than what she did over the course of 25 minutes. Do you agree with that? Uh, yeah, I'll agree with that because there was a you could see, look, Pena, what she did the first fight was fantastic. She ate a couple of punches, she went forward, she put the pressure on, she gassed her out. But in this fight, you could see a big technical advantage in the striking just because she was patient. Listen, if Pena didn't come forward, Kenny, uh, I bet you uh, Nunes would have switched back. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? She, mm -hmm. she, it was just a counter technique. That was right. it. You know what I mean? And man, and you know, you got to remember now, you put your dominant hand in front. So she didn't have much more after that, I don't think. You know, maybe the high kick with the left leg, but. I know when guys switch, they, they do a couple of things good, but defensively, they're not the same as they sure. are on the other side. So there were so many adjustments, I think, that could have been made for that. What about just going for the lead leg for a takedown? It's, it's right in front. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So can she defend the takedown on that side? You know what I mean? I, I don't know. We, don't, we never got to find out because it was the same thing over and over again, rushing in and her stepping back and whacking you with her power hand which is now the check hook. Mm. And it was, it was brutal, but you're right. You could see the difference now in technical striking because, you know, Juliana still has to work on that. She kind of runs forward, you know, pushing up punches a little bit, but wow. I, I, and I, and, uh, and again, I picked Juliana to win. I thought it was going to be another fight where she took some damage, but she was able to impose a will on her eventually. Juliana's daughter, Issa Cruz was sitting in Dana White's seat for that fight. And, you know, I want to acknowledge our CEO, Hunter Campbell and Dana, because they were sort of making sure that she was OK. And Issa was totally unfazed watching, you know, her mother's forehead get split open. I actually felt worse for Reagan Nunez, who is falling asleep backstage. And I love Nina, but my inner monologue is like, is there anyone who can take the child home to fucking go to bed right now? She's got to stay on that schedule. I mean, matter yeah. Matter of fact, let me make a note. I'm going to call Child Protective Services. <laughs> oh, yeah, I, I will say, <laughs> like, for Reagan crazy. Nunez, when she gets older, she's going to have all of these amazing memories. Oh, yeah. But it's hard to just, you know, I have three kids, 10 and under. So for me, I'm just thinking, like, there's got to be a fucking grandparents somewhere that could take the fucking child home yeah, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. listen they're, they're going to be tough kids when they grow up I can guarantee you that oh, nothing, yeah. My kids nothing will faze them yeah. Yeah, oh, mine are, yeah. Yeah. be soft It'd be, I mean, is there a word below soft because <laughs> yeah. it's not even funny yeah. but I, I should have did that should have did that should have done that I think we should have done that did that Tomato, tomato, potato, potato. What? Let's call the whole Magomed thing off. Magomed Ankalaev. Oof. 
I'm not going to talk about Buffer's pronunciation. Okay, I am. I mean, come on. The guy's won eight straight in the UFC. Hey, listen. On Kaliev. It's like, come on, man. Uh, Are you going to bust a Buff's balls after 50 years of service? Where he's probably never made him. Oh, he's man. never had a hair. The guy's never had a hair out of place when he's announced. And now you're attacking the guy. He's one of my best friends. On yeah, don't, don't, you, me recently, don't go like, after my friend. <laughs> Yeah, I probably shouldn't. Someone said to me that obviously he's so great and legendary, and I think he is worlds above Michael Buffer and any other ring announcer, of course. Like, he's the GOAT. There's no doubt about it. But someone said to me recently, like, it doesn't even matter if he mispronounces a name, right? Because that's not what his whole thing is about. Um, And part of me would really vehemently and respectfully disagree with that, right? Um, But Magomed Ankalaev over Anthony Smith by TKO in round two. Ken Flo, uh, Anthony Smith, pulling up lame with an injury. That's a part of the narrative, which I guess takes away from what Ankalaev was able to do to him. Uh, Dana said at the post-fight press conference, there was no fracture in the leg of Anthony Smith. Um, your thoughts on that fight for as long as it lasted? Ken Flo. Well, Anthony Smith was, was fighting very hard. I, I just think that Ankalaev, his physical abilities uh, were kind of head and shoulders above Anthony. Anthony's not necessarily known. He's a big guy, but he's not necessarily known as, uh, you know, the fastest guy or the most agile guy, right? You know, a- as an athlete, I think Ankalaev was just at a different level. Um, and I think that, it, I, again, I don't know if Anthony Smith came in with the, with some kind of an injury uh, in this fight. But to me, when he was on his back, Ankalaev was kicking the shit out of his ankles. Yeah. Uh, so Ankalaev, uh, ah. they should call him. Oh. But yeah, no, he was just I like it. See what I did? I love it. But he was kicking. No, he was kicking those damn legs, and you could see when Anthony went to get up, he he started limping, and I, I think uh, that damage, which a lot of times people are like, "Oh, that's just kind of like on the surface stuff that really doesn't hurt." Those leg kicks can hurt, and if it hits you in the wrong spot, uh, it can do some serious damage. So to me, it seemed like that was what led to that injury. So it seemed yeah. like it was a d- direct result of what Ankalaev was doing. But even on the feet, he just seemed really sharp. He's very fast. Uh, Anthony Smith was trying his best to take the fight to the ground and utilize that kind of strategy as an adjustment to what happened his to his ankle. Um, and, you know, Anthony is just as tough as they come. He did his best. But Ankalaev was just a little bit too much um, a- as a result of that injury. It was just too much for Anthony Smith to overcome. Yeah. Well, and what what exactly was the injury, John? Well, we don't know. But so it was right his now. ankle, right? His his ankle was damaged or something. Yeah, I mean, he, he had turned to he had us. Talked about it. Yeah. Okay. He turned to us and he was like, "I broke my leg." Uh, but at least Dana was told by somebody in PR at the post fight press conference that it there was no fracture. But I okay. guess. We'll see uh, what the diagnosis is. Um, but, yeah, we'll see what happens with Ankaliyev. You know, I'm a big Jamal Hill supporter, and he has a big opportunity against Thiago Santos coming up this weekend. I do believe, given that Glover Teixeira was seconds away from retaining his light heavyweight title, that they are going to rematch him and Yuri Prohaska, I think, at Madison Square Garden in November, potentially, which would be sort of a home game and a nice way for Glover to potentially go out. Uh, but you also yeah, don't want it. Glover to win the belt and then retire, right? You're not looking for that situation. So we'll see. Uncle, I have likely a win away. And Pantoja, I think you can say the same. You know, Dana acknowledging that they both are pretty close. So um, anything else on the main card before I get to some of these prelims? Did Did you guys see the heavyweight fight between Hamdi Abdelwahab and Dantel Mays? Please tell me you did. I did. No, that was I, a great I, uh, fight, Kempo, no? I mean, I enjoyed yeah. the hell out of that. Dude, I'll tell you what. Hamdi is uh, quite a prospect, man. Uh, 
I would never in a million years think that a guy, uh, you know, who's that big could move in that way. He is super athletic, man, moves extremely well. And for a guy with that kind um, of experience in mixed martial arts, uh, he is fighting way above than what what you would expect. So he's a tremendous athlete. And you know that because, you know, he obviously was in the Olympics in 2016 in wrestling. Yeah. Uh, but man, uh, that, that guy, uh, I see him doing some big things at, at, in the heavyweight division, man. He, he is a tremendous wrestler. He was hitting some beautiful takedowns that got DC all excited. Um, so uh, I, I really enjoyed that fight. Um, and it was back and forth. He showed his toughness very early on in his career. He had to battle back from some serious adversity. What a fight. And and that is someone to watch for sure. <laughs> I tell you, he's in he's in rare form today, man. <laughs> you know, I feel like the kid in the class who didn't do his homework, didn't read huh. the chapter, you know, and he's just smirking at me, waiting to waiting for me to have to admit that. Look at him. Oh, so on your on your little extra rounds program, you guys don't talk about Hamdi at Wahab. Hamdaba. No. Hamdaba. I got to say, man, this dude was 5-0, and oh, right? Two of his fights were bare me. knuckle, right? But they were fought under the unified rules, so they get counted as MMA wins. But to be able Damn. to go the full 15 minutes, you know, I thought Brian Wright in his corner did a really nice job. I'm with you, Ken Flo. I mean, this yeah. is a, a, a legitimately intriguing injection of talent into the heavyweight division. And I thought Dante Mays did a lot of good things defensively and was very much present and in that fight and he's made great strides in terms of the details and his strength and conditioning. So I'm excited to see what those guys can do. We will have more on UFC 277 on the back end, but now joining us on the back end of the Ray Longo minute, this is a handsome guy right here. Uh, one of Longo's most promising students crashed in his Ray Longo minute today. You might've seen him with a big win on Dana White's contender series last Tuesday. He did not receive a contract, however. Dennis Bazooka is with us. Good morning, my man. How are you? Good morning, my people. How are you guys doing? <laughs> We're doing well, man. It's great to have you on the show. Longo. It's great to be here, man. I, this yeah. is amazing. It's an honor. It's I feel to blessed to be your boy be here. here on the program, man. You know? look, look, wait, let me ask you, John. When you saw Dana, was he over that roid rage he had the other night? <laughs> did, did, you, did you get it? We got to get him off that shit, man. That 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 oh roid, that roid rage that was that was bizarre. Come on, oh man. So can someone keep it update, update me what happened? What happened, Ray? You got to explain this. Oh, oh, I didn't it. see this. It's it's a hundred percent worth going back and looking at. I'll be honest with you. <laughs> you know, I tell pretty, you, it, it was bad. But I tell you, John, in the back, we were in the back during that first fight, and I swear to God, I'm going Aljo. This is not good. Because these two guys are putting their hands up like they did something. Dane is gonna go. He's gonna go ape shit. I knew uh-huh. it in the back. I knew it the first fight. You know, so that's why I was trying to implore him on you gotta knock the guy out. Like we gotta get out of here with a knockout or you know. Uh, well, yeah. through no lack of effort, and let me set it up a little bit for people yeah. that haven't seen the win by Dennis on Dana White's Contender Series. So your first appearance on the show, 2020, you lost to Melsic Bogdasarian, who, by the way, has not lost in the UFC since. But you've won four in a row, my man, and you know that includes your second appearance on the show last Tuesday. Most of the assembled media and the general public thought your performance was worthy of a UFC contract. You beat a very good wrestler by unanimous decision. You know, I know how you feel about your performance because of your tweets. Um, I think you're being a little bit hard on yourself 
Um, but what were your thoughts on that performance and ultimately uh, where you stand right now? Uh, I mean, we knew he was a wrestler. I, I came out to knock his head off. You know, every shot I was throwing was to knock him, knock, was to knock him out. Uh, but he, you know, his game plan was to tire me out and wrestle me. It was, I'm very frustrated with myself too on the fight. Uh, cause I'm always looking for the finish. I'm always critiquing myself, but he came, he, he stalled a lot. It's still, it's on me to really, you know, do what I have to do to get off the cage and, and finish the fight. At the end of the day, it's on me. It's no one, no one to blame, but myself. I don't blame Dana for being frustrated. It's, it's a show. It's what it's about. It's excitement. And, but I think I came exciting. I put on a show. I was always looking to to finish and to strike and to even at the grappling, I was looking to take him down. That time I took him down in the third round to I took him down. I wanted to finish him with the ground and pound. And I was not trying to stall by any means. I was always looking for the finish. Even right. until the last second, I was trying to throw hard ground and pound. So it's just very frustrating the way the way that whole thing happened. I was telling Ray, if this was a UFC fight, we'd just be celebrating right now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, John, I'll tell you, that's the weirdest thing. You you get a W and you, you, you're miserable. You're actually miserable. Yeah. You know, it's a crazy emotional ride. But, you know, I, I you know when I was talking to Aljo before I go out, Joe, this is like a day before, right? Because, uh, so we're, we're not coaching for, uh, for a W. We're coaching to get him on the show. And I don't want to coach like that. You know, because sure. you don't want to make mistakes and you don't want to, you know, like you have to come out of yourself a little bit. I thought he did enough where you could see he could compete in the UFC. And that's all that, you know, I think should have mattered. But I think he got lumped in with a couple of those other fights. And that was that was it, you know. And 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 again, you know, I I do understand, Dana. I, I get where he's coming from. But it, it kind of, you know, Kenny, it's like when they call the fighters into the those meetings at the weigh-ins and they leave the coaches and the managers out. I mean, I think that's for a reason because they try to rile everybody up and the coaches are going to go, that's, that's fucking stupid, man. Just get the, you know, like you got to fight smart at the end of the day. Right. Absolutely. You know, and it takes two, it takes two fighters to do that. Without it, without it. Dictate, you can't dictate yeah. what the other guy across from you is supposed to do. Right. He's a wrestler. Yeah. He's going to, he's going right. to resort to that. And, and the UFC every once in a while, even the most exciting yes. fighters in the world are going to have a, a stinky fight or, or not an exciting fight. Every hey, single time out, you hey, just can't do that. Guess guess who wouldn't have got on the show? Aljo with his win over Jan. He would have been right. thrown out. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like this is where it gets crazy. Yeah. So I, I I get I I 100 percent understand Dana's part, but I you know for, for Bazooka, you still got to fight aggressively but intelligently, and yeah, it's a, it's a it's a hard mix. But I I think he proved that he could compete in the UFC, and that 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 was all that really mattered to me. Dennis Bazooka with us here on the Anakin Florian podcast. So you bet the value of your show money, $5,000 on yourself to win. And that netted you an additional $2,200 and change. What led to that decision? I'd imagine you bet on yourself before, no? I never did, actually. This was the first time. Oh, wow. Yeah, first time. Uh, My mentality going into the fight was it's just do or die, like all or nothing. Uh, You know, the money's extra, but really it's just, Leave it all in there. Go get the contract. I, in my heart, my mentality was if I leave it in there and do my best to my fullest, just give everything I got, then I have the style to get the contract. I have what the UFC likes and what the fans like. Um, I mean, I got the win. I wanted the finish. Obviously, the contract was the goal. But thank God I didn't leave a complete scrub with nothing. Of course. And yeah. Lost all my whole show money. But, it, I mean, it's kind of a little cushion, I guess. Yeah. Well, I mean, look. Four straight wins, too, you know. 
Go ahead, yeah. Ray. Yeah, no, he's a very calculated striker, and sometimes that looks like, you know, he's being a little patient where, you know, maybe there should have been more urgency to, you know, take a chance and just go for it maybe. But, uh, again, I think at the end of the day, he got lumped in with everybody. I think that right. the card started off with a fight that I guarantee you Dana was livid over. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? A fight that didn't deliver any action and guys were jumping right. around like they, they, you're right. You know? So Dennis, before we let you go, and I do think you've resonated with a fan base in a big way, right? And it's pretty unique, right? To have this type of traction with UFC fans having never fought in the octagon. So I do think it's an eventuality. You're only 24 when you get there all good things, but where do you go from here? I mean, some people have suggested maybe you try to stay as ready as you can, maybe end up getting a short notice opportunity at Madison square garden in November. What is your mentality about where you go from here? You know, it's a little hard. I feel like I'm in limbo right now uh, because I'm so close to the UFC. I'm coming off a win and I'm on a win streak, but I'm just, I'll win or lose. But especially where I'm at right now, I'm going to just get right back to the gym once I heal up, just work on things I need to be working on and just be ready for whatever's next, whether it's a regional fight, whether, you know, I don't want to say another show like Bellator or something because UFC is where I want to be. But hopefully I'll just be ready to jump in UFC. MSG would be my dream. That would definitely be my dream. I'll pack that place out too. I really, really, really hope I can get on MSG. I bet you would, man. Well, you've been all class the way you've handled it and, um, you know, deflecting and everything else, man. I, I, I wish you all the best. Uh, and we wanted to give you a little shine today. So uh, enjoy the W, man, four in a row. And uh, I do think one day um, we very much look forward to calling your fight in the UFC, buddy. Love you guys. Thank you. All right, my man. Good seeing Congrats, you, Bazooka. And it's Bazooka yeah. with us here uh, as part of the Ray Longo Mendit. Go ahead, Chicken Pound. <laughs> hey, never cook chicken. Never cook chicken again, John. <laughs> Still waiting for my package, right now. Yo, Carlo, can you send the guy some chicken, please? The guys, look at him. I got mine. I Don't got make mine. me cheat on chicken with the other white meat. Oh, I'll wow, go me, fucking wait, pork oh, Are you saying Kenny got chicken and John didn't? Yeah, maybe. Oh, all right. We gotta. We'll fix that, John. John, you showing off? Are you showing off your watch right now? You like my yellow brightling? You like that? I'll take it off and show the viewers. Let me see, I mean, let hey, me if you're that. a listener only, you know, if you're a listener only, you know, it might be time to uh, to check out the Anakin Florin podcast YouTube channel. But there's our yellow face. Wow, right look at that. Like boom, that. boom. Yeah, Didn't Kevin. cost all that much money when my wife bought it for me as an engagement gift back in uh, like 2009. Look, what class. What class. You know, how about my so, wife buying? She had more money than I did when we met, so she bought yeah. me a nice watch when we got engaged. <laughs> I, wish I, right. had the, I wish I had the Rolex ready, Kenny. That would have been comparing like a, a Mazda to a Mercedes. <laughs> <laughs> now, what, what, you, what car are you driving? Oh, I got the Mazda. <laughs> God. Yeah, yeah, Uh-oh, yeah. he's always he's no, he's no. <laughs> no, I mean, you know, Ken Flo is a watch guy. Okay. Oh, right? And he's maybe. just sort of, you know, doing the whole touching his top lip to his bottom lip right now. <laughs> Not saying anything. Dude, this fucking dude's got Ottomar <laughs> fucking Pagay, whatever the fuck. <laughs> is, everything this guy. Is, man, he, come is, on. is he Trump in the Rolex? What is he oh got? Oh, my yes. God. The answer is yes. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> I like I love Rolex. It's my favorite watch, though. I I, I got a few of them. I love them. And you got He's a few been, of them. I got a few. Oh. I tell you, I know I know guys like that, man. That's crazy. 
<laughs> well, and he's ahead of the curve when it comes to fashion or anything like that. You know, uh, well, well, look at him. Three years ago, I had a buddy, Ryan <laughs> Rosillo, reach out to me and tell me to invest in a Rolex. In a Rolex, and I wish I had done that three years ago. But uh, Ken Flo was, you know, a decade ahead of the curve. As usual. <laughs> like Kenny, Rolex or Bitcoin? What are we going with? Oh man, I mean, they're both going up like crazy. Bitcoin right now is a good buy, but Rolex is going to go up. I mean, Rolex always goes up. That's the thing. In the United States, people covet Rolexes. They they they'll yeah. double, triple in prices. Man, it's crazy. Yeah, yeah. You know, you know when I when I was a kid, just to, you know, there, there was a couple of guys with Rolex. I said, man, I, I don't, you know, I, I never even envisioned I'd be able to own one. I'm not even joking. Like, and then that was always like the epitome of, you know, yeah. class and, you know, high yeah. standings that you made it like type of thing. Right. So that had, a lot of one now. And that had a lot of meaning to me. Yeah. yeah it was, yeah. it's different. I'm not, you know, <laughs> awesome, I'm, not I always, I'm not collecting it. I actually wear it. I always admire Bruce Buffer's green Rolex, hoping that maybe he'll uh, he'll leave it to me. I'll probably die first. And if you listen to the show today, I'm not getting anything. So you went right after the buff. You started out. You went right after him. I couldn't help myself. I hope he's you, not you, you, you really want to get even with him. You just say, "I, I think I spotted a nose hair when you were announcing." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That'll go crazy. Uh, all right, before I let you go, Ray, I'm going to shout out a few more names who shined at UFC 277. I know you didn't see a lot of these yeah. performances, but you tell me who you want to sound off on. Alex Morono over Matthew Semmelsberger in featured prelim bout. Awesome fight. Morono's won four in a row, and uh, he did so as the underdog this weekend. Drew Dober seemed to be a very difficult weight cut. There were some issues there with that, um, but a great that, that fight was a great him. fight. And, yeah. and Rafael Alves yes. is an absolute beast. Congratulations to Dracar Close. Michael and I mean, good test for him, I thought, you know, to be extended a little bit, but he's an absolute monster undefeated at welterweight. And then Nikolai Negumediano at light heavyweight, four in a row for him, the Romanian wrestling champion taking his striking to the next level. So, uh, Morono, Dober, close, Ray. Anybody you want to shout out before we let you fly? Oh, uh, man. You know, I like Dracul close. I didn't see the fight, though, but uh, but I, I thought uh, Dober was fantastic in that fight. Yeah, I love that. I fight, love the yeah. way I love the way you fights. Well, he right, goes man, well, it, uh, are you going back to Las Vegas for the contender series this week or no? No, I'm going to go back in two weeks, I think. And then I'll go from Vegas to Utah with Marab, I think, is the plan. OK, who do you have on the contender series next? We got Charlie Campbell Tuesday night and then Nazim Sadikov on the 16th, the August 16th. Yeah, I think yeah. it might be two weeks, right? Uh, uh, probably a week after, yeah. I don't even know. All right, well, we wish you all the best with that, and uh, I will see you in Salt Lake City, but, of course, we'll see you uh, next Sunday on the program, my man. I appreciate you getting up for us today, sir. Oh, man, dude, I was – I mean, I was I was feeling it today, no? Oh, you were on fire today. Yeah, <laughs> rare form. And especially after not being on the program next week uh, – just got to get that Instagram sorted out. I think it might oh, man, not have just stinks, push the reset man. button on this whole fucking thing and start a new page. Oh, you know? I'm, I'm not a big Instagram fan at this point. They suck, actually. I mean, they do nothing. Nothing. Yeah. Right. You know? Crazy. Yeah. What a race TikTok then. Race no, 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 no. I'm going to get it going. I got to get back on that. <laughs> right, just man, for, the, well, uh, for the show, because I think the show needs it. Yeah, I, yeah, I think so too. All right, well, uh, all right, thank guys. you for your time. Checks in the mail, and uh, this time you're the really best, good, man. So. This is Kenny. Another Rolex, another Rolex. We're rich. Holy shit! I gotta go. Take it easy. There he is, Ray Longo. Every week here. <laughs>
on the Anik and Florian podcast. All right. That is it on UFC 277. What did we miss at Anik Florian pod? Also, don't forget next week, our second fight pass rewind with Anik and Florian drops as we look back at a seminal moment in UFC history and have a whole lot of fun along the way. But it is now time to spin it forward. UFC fight night, Santos versus Hill. Let us get to the main event challenge. It's the main event challenge. And the time is most definitely Florian. I finished fights. I'm going to do everything possible to win. The main event challenge. The John Anik and Kenny Florian podcast. And there he is as we go triple box again. Big gun Brian Petrie on social That's media right. at Brian Petrie MMA. Just inject the energy into my veins. You know, Ugh. we almost printed big Anik energy t-shirts. Like, I, yeah. I think you need, like, big gun energy or... All know, right. I, I like I like shirts, I like you know? Anik energy, too. I mean, big listen, Anik what? energy. Yeah, I like that my wife. I won't like the play on like big dick energy, which is obviously the play. But uh, <laughs> yeah. All right. We have two predictions today uh, for UFC fight night at the apex coming up this weekend. Before we get there, bro, I just wanted to quickly get your thoughts on Amanda Nunes. If I could. Uh, what a performance, huh? Unreal. I love when someone who is getting doubted about maybe not having any more, not into it anymore, goes and makes a change like switching the Southpaw and completely freezing Pena. They, uh, Cody mentioned in the chat, they were bringing up uh, Pena when she fought Valentina. Hey, you fought a Southpaw before, 10 years ago, whatever <laughs> it is. You know what I mean? Do that. And she's like, okay, but she was stuck. Um, I love how that they did that because a lot of times there's a, there's a theory in boxing where sometimes it, you, they want to put your strong hand first. There's a lot of coaches that, that teach that as opposed to strong hand back. And uh, I love what she did. It was absolutely beautiful. And then Pena just being a fucking stud. Unbelievable. She got dropped like six times, didn't quit, had a huge cut on her head, never was given up once, um, blown away by both women. I mean, literally just there's no other sport that puts women's, like any kind of women's athlete ahead of anything besides MMA. You know, yeah, they, they, they right. sell women's MMA, they sell women's athletes, and that's a beautiful thing. Um, and that was the highest level that you're going to get, you know, next to Joanna Wei Lee and, and so forth. And uh, I absolutely love the fight. I love both women's uh, heart desire and they both yeah. wanted it. And just, I mean, Juliana Pena's daughter's doing the stare down. I mean, come oh. on, heart melted. What are we doing here? Yeah. I mean, respect uh, is not a strong enough word for those two women. Correct. After the show they put on at UFC 277. All right. We will start our predictions today with the co-main event. A couple of the welterweight divisions top. 15 BP, 6th ranked Vicente Luque, minus 180. Number 13, Jeff Neal is plus 155. So Luque, still only 30, despite 18 UFC appearances. He has won four of his last five, but certainly the last fight not particularly good for him. The main event loss to Bilal Muhammad, that was in April. On the other side, Jeff Neal has been out a little bit. His last fight, 2021 in December, went over Santiago Ponzinibbio, which snapped a two-fight skid. I think people are going to see value on Jeff Neal close to plus 160, but I don't have to make a pick. BP, what do you have? Sure. I'm the opposite. I see value on Luke being pretty low here. A couple of boys that like to throw down. I mean, their boxing is high level. Luke's got a chin for fucking days, doesn't quit. And Jeff Neal blew up after the contender series, but, you know, he bounced Mike Perry's head off the canvas, which is not easy to do. Mike Perry's notoriously known to be in tough. And then since then, he's been one and two since he's fought high level guys, you know, uh, Stephen Thompson outclassed him on the feet and Neil Magny Magny them. You know, that Neil did what Neil does. 
And then the Ponzi fight was very close. You know, I actually bet Jeff Neal, but, you know, if, if I'm taking my green color glasses off, I thought Ponzi Nebo won that fight. But very, very competitive, very close. But Luke, man, his composure in the Bilal fight, and Bilal is not an easy guy to fight. He is becoming, quickly becoming the boogeyman division. Bilal's movement, cardio, wrestling, fight IQ is tough to deal with. And I thought Luke, at the, you know, I picked Bilal in that fight and I bet him, but I thought Luke was going to get frustrated. And he stayed composed because that's what the guy does. He likes to go out there and he likes to bang. And so the even after a loss, I'm impressed with his composure. He's only 30. He's got a wealth of experience, and, and he's getting better. And I think this is a perfect fight for him. Minus 180 is, is a gorgeous number. I'm going to play that. I'm also going to play him by KO here. I like Vicente Luque by KO over Jeff Neal. And I like that's Jeff Neal, but I just I just think Vincent, Vincente Luque is just a, a little bit better right now. Kenny, I do believe you are going to get the best version of Vicente Luque, right? I do think, given the nature of his last appearance, that he needs a win here. Um, I also, in talking to Safe Saud, a good friend of mine, really feel like Jeff Neal is healthy and dialed in. And uh, candidly, that hasn't always been the case. What are your thoughts, Flo, on the main uh, co-main event? Yeah, I'm excited about this fight. I think it's going to be very exciting. I, I think that Luque is a little bit more diverse of an athlete um, when it comes to the full gamut of, of mixed martial arts skills. I think he's got more ways to win. He can do more uh, both on the ground and on the feet, in my opinion. Now, the big question for me is who's you know what Jeff Neal is going to show up. Sometimes we see a Jeff Neal that is a little bit com- too complacent, uh, who tends to not throw a ho- whole lot of combinations, kind of gets caught into just looking for one big shot, stays on the periphery without really committing very much. Um, and then sometimes we get the Jeff Neal who walks you down, who's looking to take your head off. So um, for me, I, I don't love inconsistency. Luke, whether he wins or loses, he always shows up and he's always game and he's always trying to take your head off or submit you. Um, and I like that. And for me, I got to go with consistency here. Uh, Luke is, um, I, I think, the more diverse mixed martial artist here. And, and I'm going to go with the Brazilian. All right, Ken Flo and Brian, both pretty convicted on Vicente Luque. Brian, what do you have? Is there like a glow with Kenny today? I mean, I watched the show before I got on. This guy's got like this shacket camo thing going. (laughs) He looks relaxed. You know, he's back in his office. I mean, this is tough competition. I got to fucking step it up here, guys. I'm sorry. Let me get ready here, okay? And he doesn't take compliments well, but he's like, hey, it reverse. Like, no white. Like, my beard is fucking white <laughs> and this guy like he don't Not die oh, like, dr florian gus and Inez florian, <laughs> tremendous genetic all right main event 205 pounds 10th rank contender jamal sweet dreams hill who i think can be a champion um just got to put down the backwoods my man no i'm just kidding uh, he's <laughs> minus 260 against six rank tiago santos who comes back at plus 220 so Kempflo, we'll lead with you here. Been sort of a rough go for Mahetta since he nearly wrested the light heavyweight title away from John Jones in March of 2019. He's lost three of four. He's 38 years of age. Last time out, of course, the five-round unanimous decision lost to Magomed Ankalaev. Your thoughts on Santos here in a big spot against the streaking Jamal Hill? He is in a big spot. You know, I, I think for Chiago, you know, it's tough to tell. It, has he become more civilized or is he still uh-huh. kind of um, – or is he still kind of dealing with that knee injury that has slowed him down significantly? It's hard. It's hard to tell. Um, but you know, the Santos that used to go out there and was willing to die on his shield, or you know, go out there looking to crush you with every single shot. I, I think he's kind of long gone for whatever reason. Um, so for me, I, I think 
Jamal Hill is coming into this division with an energy and with a style that is going to be hard to compete with. He's riding high on confidence. He's very slick on the feet, man. Uh, the way that he moves, the way that he's capable of countering you, I, I think he brings in a very interesting style. And for Santos, um, if, if he's not coming forward, I still think Jamal Hill can bring offense and come forward and set up the shots that he wants. I think he's going to be faster. I don't think Jamal Hill probably hits as hard as Santos, but I do think he's going to be uh, quicker, and I think he's going to be a little bit more accurate as well. Um, so I, I'm just curious to see what kind of Santos we see out there. We could see a Santos that just kind of circles the whole time and, again, just keeps that distance and never really allows Hill uh, to get yeah. off. And, and we see a terrible fight because of it. I think that yeah. is is probable as well. But I, I think Jamal Hill is going to be too hungry. He's going to bring the fight to Santos if he needs. I think he's best in the counter-striking role. But I do think he's going to bring the fight uh, to Santos if that happens, force him to fight. Um, and, and come away with the win. And I wouldn't be surprised if Hill goes out there and gets a finish here. And Jamal Hill's got a lot of grappling experience, a lot of jujitsu skills. You know, he feels like that part of his game is just criminally overlooked and uh, figures to have the advantage in the grappling situation, at least in my mind. Yeah, Santos has gone the full 25 minutes three times in the UFC, Bri. That was his sixth UFC main event there against Ankalaev. Hill, back-to-back first-round knockouts of Johnny Walker and Jimmy Crute. They both really served to get the fans excited. He won performance bonuses, outstanding athlete, and a big spot for him here against Tiago Santos. Your thoughts on the main event, August 6th. Just talking about sweet dreams gives me confidence. You know yeah, what I mean? Man. A little bit of swagger to me. This uh, guy is smooth. So DC put out that video on the basketball court. He's an athlete. He's got an interesting body. I had a buddy that had a body type like him that could put down a horse with his punches. You wouldn't expect it, wow. but it's like, it's just this different kind of weird leverage you have. And I truly believe his skills are finally matching up with his confidence. I think he ran into the Paul Craig. That was a lesson learned. Got his elbow dislocated and was like, okay, let's re regroup here. Sleeps Jimmy Crute, sleeps Johnny Walker, confidence all time high. But Santos had sledgehammers attached to his fucking hands for sure. But he's got to throw them. He yeah. looks kind of flat his last couple times out. Since the John Jones fight after double knee surgery, he's been one and three in the UFC, and he's a little flat, maybe second-guessing himself. Maybe the knee injury is still a problem. We don't know. But he first three fights at 205 pounds, he, was, he finished everyone. Now he hasn't, hasn't finished, doesn't really have any wins besides Johnny Walker, where that was kind of tailor-made for him to, to let go of his sledgehammers, and he really did. It was a pedestrian fight. I think Hill's going to put pressure on him. I think Hill's a good counterfighter, but I also think he has a longer reach. My biggest concern is maybe Santos is going to wrest a little bit, but Hill does come from a jiu-jitsu background. He, he's been wanting to prove that. But also, Hill does kind of keep his chin up in the air a little bit. Tiago Santos, it's only three-inch reach advantage, so it's not like a huge reach advantage where you can get away with stuff like that against a Jimmy Crute, who's a little bit smaller. So I am a little concerned about that, but I just I just don't think Santos is going to be willing to engage. I, I think it's going to be a lot of work by Hill, and his confidence isn't going to let him take a step forward or step backwards. Excuse me. He's going... Uh, for it, I like him at 260. It's mid chalk, but I'm going to do the beautiful DraftKings same game parlay. I like Hill plus KO, and that's just some juicy money right there. Yeah. So give me that. And it's going to be interesting talking about this fight next week and particularly how it plays into the UFC's light heavyweight division pecking order, right? Because, yeah. you know, if Jamal Hill is able to get a knockout here, right? He's going to get a big fight, total eliminator type fight. And, uh, mm -hmm. you know, maybe I think the ceiling on him is is higher than some of my contemporaries, but uh, it's a tremendous athlete. You see him shoot really? a three-pointer, you know, which I think can be telling. Money. 
Um, all right, good week for Ken Flo last week, plus $434.02. Brian also in the positive in the black, plus 182.74. For more from BP, you can find him on Twitter at Brian Petrie MMA. My man, appreciate the time. We'll talk to you next week in advance of Cheeto Vera and Dominic Cruz. That's a good one, Johnny. All right, boys, I'll see you. Have a good week. Thank you, buddy. You too. There he is, Brian Petrie, with us here for the main event challenge. All right. No marrow seconds today. I know it stands to reason that for many of you, it's your favorite segment of the show, but I literally have to get out the door to a voiceover session. So thank you all for watching. Don't forget our segment coming up on UFC Fight Pass next week. UFC Fight Pass, the world's premier combat sports streaming service with over 200 live events, the largest fight library in existence, original shows, and more. Sign up for a year and a half. Or sign up for a year, I guess, and you can get half off for a limited time. UFCFightPass.com. All right, don't forget, remember the show with Bilal Muhammad and Jason Anna coming up on Thursday. AnnaFlorianPodcast.com for your merchandise needs. One more sleep merch can be had at millions.co and KennyFlorianMartialArts.com remains live for all of your jujitsu essentials. Episode 359 in the books. Thank you all for indulging us. Thanks to Dennis Bazooka and Ray Longo and Brian Petrie for joining us, as well as our executive producer, Cody Merrow, putting it all together for Ken Flom, John Anik. We will talk to you in about six days. Until then, stay healthy. Don't text or drive. Go later. Hello, I am Dr. George Jesus Mesa, a clinical psychologist and collector of Chicano Latinx art. For generations, we have known of the healing powers of art at an individual and community level. Please join us as we interview prominent artists, collectors, curators, and influencers in the world of Chicano Latinx art. We will explore historical, regional, and political influences that impact Chicano Latinx art today along with our partners at www.latinoarte.com. We are preserving the colorful and rich history of Chicano Latinx art for future generations, one interview at a time. Please join us at Healing with Dr. George, the power of Chicano Latinx art, wherever you listen to podcasts. Now's a good time to remember where the story of tequila started. In 1795, the first tequila distillery was opened by the Cuervo family. And 229 years later, Cuervo is still going strong. Family owned from the start. Same family, same land. Now's a good time to enjoy Cuervo, the tequila that invented tequila. Go to Cuervo.com to shop tequila or visit a store near you. Cuervo, now's a good time. Trademarks owned by Beckless AB to CV 2024, Proximo, Jersey City, New Jersey. Please drink responsibly.